And uh, I wanted to speak to you this morning. I wanted to share a story from the scriptures and weave my own story into it about mental health. And um, the story, and I love the story. I get very excited by the Old Testament. And it's the story of Elijah after Mount Carmel. And you know Mount Carmel, Elijah had gone up there. Oh, sorry. Well, maybe if you don't mind my shaking with the power of God. Um, you know, if I have to have the power of God, you're going to get it. Um, so he'd gone up that mountain. He'd done quite a lot of showing off. And uh, I think he was probably pretty high and his ego was woo-woo, you know, and he was calling out things to the prophets of Baal and, oh, flip, it was like a sound and light show. Forget Guy Fawkes. And then, strangely, next chapter, What happens to Elijah? And Ahab told Jezebel, they were the king and queen, all that Elijah had done and how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. There were none left, by the way. All the Baal prophets were dead. So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose, ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Now, this is the man who prayed that the rain would start and the rain would stop. He used the same medium to pray that he might die. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just say, could I die? He prayed that he might die. So what's happened between Mount Carmel and this? Now, Lord, he said, it's enough. Take my life. Like, I've been flipping, working for you. I've just sweated it out there with all that stuff there with the prophets. I've shown the whole kingdom what's really going on, that Yahweh is God. And now King Jezebel's after me. It is enough, Lord, now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And an angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I think I'll just leave that there, and we'll go back to that. So what's happening here? What has been happening with Elijah? He's had this amazing time with a very big high. Imagine the amount of adrenaline that would have gone on up there. Um, He gets a message, you'll be dead in 24 hours. He arose and runs for his life. It's hard to even reconcile with the man who took on the prophets of Baal and killed them all. 
And yet he's scared of King, uh, Queen Jezebel. And if she'd wanted him dead, she could have sent someone to kill him straight away. I think she wanted him humbled. I think she wanted him humbled like the prophets of Baal were. She wanted him out of the kingdom and humbled. Because it was pretty scary for them that he showed up the gods that they actually relied on and worshipped. So what's he do? He runs, runs for his life. Um, he goes 80 k's. Then he leaves his servant. Isn't it interesting? When we get a bit low, we often isolate. So he leaves old Gehazi, who's been carrying all the bags and doing all the stuff. And he goes a further day into the wilderness, sits under a broom tree and prays that he might die. What does this show us? It shows us we're body, soul, and spirit. Our feelings can overwhelm us. They're also a warning system, which if we ignore, we ignore to our peril. Natural low came to him after such an event, and I think all of you can identify with that. When you have been in high, and there's a lot of that going on out there now, when you have been on high alert for a long time, your adrenaline just keeps pumping You know, adrenaline is given to us so that when that snake comes, we can jump high. But the trouble is, we are living in a world where it feels like there's always snakes. So we're always switched on. And adrenaline actually suppresses your immune system. If there's too much adrenaline, adrenaline is given so that when there's a big shock, a big fright, everything goes to your major organs, your heart and all that, to to make you run faster, get that whole I've got to survive thing. But when you've got that going on all the time, that actually wears you out. And I guess in this, I want to tell you my story. Um, You know, I came from a very broken home, uh, but met Jesus, converted, drunk, converted when I was drunk. (laughs) No, I was converted, then I was drunk. No, no, ha, ha, ha. Um, (laughs) Though I did have a very funny time in Australia once where I'd... um, No, this is great. I've got to tell you this. Um, So I was having a lovely time. I was coming home from Australia on the plane, and I'm not that keen on flying. Look, I'm not back. These two ginormous glasses of wine before I got on the flight. And then I'm sitting down, the guy turns to me. He said, you're that woman's speaker, aren't you? (laughs) No, never heard of her. (laughs) Because I don't drink. I mean, I hardly ever drink. And two glasses of wine, I was, (laughs) whoo-hoo. Yeah, you know, the one from Grace. Oh, yeah, 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 you know. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, had an amazing, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, um, met uh, with, along with Sam's mother, met Phil, we got married, we did mission work, went to India, had three sons, one of our sons is severely autistic. So, over the years, we lived in a lot of stress, uh, but, you know, pretty much, my life or my personality, I don't know, was you keep going. And uh, in some ways I'm thankful that that was my memo up there. That was my memo because I thought, well, what else can we do? Do you lie down on the floor and scream? Gregory was doing that. So (laughs) too much competition. Um, So keep going, keep going. And um, Went down, uh, been pastors, then went down to Grace, worked at Grace. We were in charge of all the pastoral care. And because it's a big church and quite a young lot of people, any of the deaths there were tragic. And I'd been a hospice nurse, so I'd often get quite involved. I'm a bit like 
Jen. Jen's a bit like me. We find it very hard to turn the compassion and the heart off. And um, I've had to learn over the years where I stop and people start, etc., etc. But got to a stage where I started to feel, and I wasn't even aware of what I was feeling. What I felt was some days I'd be sitting in a chair and I think, oh, God, can I actually stand up? Can I get up? Yes, you get up. There's other people out there that need your help. Doesn't matter how you're feeling. And that was the whole sort of story that I, narrative that I told myself. We had a horrible thing happen with a a woman in our church. Her sister went missing in the Port Hills. Uh, It turned out later she'd uh, suicided, but her body wasn't found for two years. But I could not stop being involved with that. And it, I mean, she, the woman became extremely unwell, and uh, that was fairly difficult. Um, She's come through that. It was a terrible time for her. Um, So I was dealing with that as well. And then, so I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. I remember going back to work after two weeks' holiday and just bursting into tears. I thought, shoot, I've had two weeks off. And I just went home. I mean, you know, Dave said to me, go home. And he gave me six weeks off. And at the time, I went out to this retreat place and um, I just got an iPhone. I was so flippin' excited. (laughs) You know, it was just when they were new. Anyway, and Sam and my son, Nick, they said that we're going to put one of Amy Winehouse's song on there. Bronnie's got to go to rehab. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And they used to joke with me about it. They said, put that as your ringtone. And then anyone from the church that's ringing, they're like, oh, my God. She really does have a drinking problem. (laughs) So, um, So... And then I recovered from that, apparently, six weeks off, doing nothing. I learned some things about myself that it didn't always have to be with people and that I could just sit in a chair and do nothing, which I'm actually amazing at now. (laughs) And um, people say, how could you pass six hours? I said, I could. I call it toy-toy gazing. Even if you haven't got toy-toys, find something out the window and just gaze at it. And I have found that that is the way I encounter God. I encounter God through just sitting and thinking and just and then he's speaking to me. I do less speaking to God now and more listening. But it hasn't come about, you know, because I'm an amazing person or whatever. It came about out of, out of desperation because the next stage of that is I became highly anxious. So all this time I didn't really recognize that I was actually in low-grade depression. I just thought, you know, burnout been working so hard in the church, very big church, lots of traumatic deaths and things. Um, I became excessively, irrationally anxious and was getting these ridiculous thoughts. Um, I'm going to tell you because I believe there are some people here who have had this kind of thing. I actually went off to Australia for a holiday with my sisters and I didn't want to tell them because they're not Christians and hey, you know, they don't think Christians got any problems because I didn't want them to know that, you know, uh, that we have issues. Um, and we were staying in this hotel and I got this feeling. I thought, oh, my God, what say? I didn't want to do this, but this is how irrational my thinking became. What say I get up in the middle of the night and jump off the balcony? But I didn't want to die and I didn't, but I got the sense that I was out of control. And that was why I had the drinks before I got on the plane. That was that trip, actually. So there you are. (laughs) Um, 
And in the end, I had to tell my sisters. And they were just lovely. And one of them's, you know, got quite a history. She had a whole bunch of benzos there. She said, have a couple of these. (laughs) And oh my God, yes, thank you. I think I might have had a benzo with the wine. I'm not sure. But... (laughs) But anyway, I got back. I got back and the anxiety continued. And finally... The old registered nurse who knows everything, the old hospital-trained nurse, rah, rah, goes to the doctor. Because I wasn't sleeping. I didn't. I remember ringing Annette and saying, I think I'm going mad, Annette. Come down because I think I'm going mad. And um, I went to my doctor. He was a Christian guy, a lovely guy. He was also Gregory's doctor. He was Matthew's doctor. So he knew our family history. And I said to him, David... I think it's spiritual. He just sort of looked at me. He said, everything's spiritual, Bronwyn. He said, what about the years and years and years of accumulated stress looking after Gregory? He said, you have tipped over. Your brain has said enough. You see, my body was telling on my soul. It said enough, enough. And then he said, I was out in the waiting room like, God, if he thinks I should go on antidepressants, should I let the frog jump three times around the corner or something? Um, (laughs) You know, just giving him complete control over my life. Not me trying to control it. And uh, he said, I think you need antidepressants. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've been telling everyone else to have them but me. Me. Oh, no, I'm strong. And uh, But by that stage, I was ready. Because I, the anxiety was terrifying. I didn't want to be by myself. And I started them. Within a month, I went back to him. I said, I've gone to Club Med in my head. I said, I, I said, David, I can't believe how good I feel. And what I hadn't realised was we are body, soul and spirit. Elijah was depressed. Exhaustion and disappointment often equals depression because our body is trying to recalibrate. If it stays in this heightened state, you'll go into mania. If it doesn't actually try and take you into a natural low, that's your body, wonderfully and fearfully made. But the trouble is I'd used up all my serotonin. Well, I tell you, I became a nicer person. My jokes were better, everything. (laughs) It's not true, but... I did become a nicer person, I think, because I was feeling very irritable. I'd like to say on all of this, my husband is a saint. He's always been one, and I think I've sanctified him more. (laughs) Because he's been through what I've been through, but there's something about his personality, maybe the fact he had a different kind of childhood than me, that he is able to absorb stress in a different way than I do. I'm a very high feeler, and that's my strength. And my weakness. So I I loved it. I loved it. And so I got up in church the next time I was about to preach. And I told them. They almost clapped. I thought, this is a bit weird. And then they said to me, we just loved hearing that you've had panic attacks. We see you as so strong. Because when you're preaching from the front, and, you know, I believe I've got a preaching gift, you kind of had the power of God on you and the authority of God. But they loved it. It kind of made, oh, gosh, we're all having panic attacks now. Um, (laughs) But they loved it. And I think too, and that was how long ago? 15 years? 
2000, yeah, 10, I think too, it kind of gave permission to people. Hey, Christians get depressed. Leaders get depressed. Pastors get depressed. Doctors, nurses get depressed. Depression is a response from a body that is not actually listening to its soul or stopping and attending. And I've had to learn how to attend to my soul. God has given me some wonderful little uh, things. There are some things I cannot do and I haven't been able to do since then. I can't go on a two-hour pastoral listening deal. And what I do is I've got little plans. I, I, I love people. I absolutely love people. I think these guys. But if I know that someone's going to stay with me for two hours, I just say things like, you know, I hope Sam doesn't start using this next week. <laughs> oh, my God, I'll be giving out all these secrets. <laughs> you won't be able to now. And this is such a fabulous one. Sometime people came around to a house to pray for autistic son. And, you know, we've had prayers from who knows, who knows, who knows. And uh, they came around and said, da-di-da, they thought the Cajuns from, had come all the way over from New Orleans and affected Gregory. Um, I, I don't know if that was during the flood or they just felt they needed to come to New Zealand and affect Gregory Tate. Uh, that's our autistic son. Anyway, in the end, I just said, look, I'm going to have to finish now. I've got something happening. And they're like, oh, what have you got happening? And I didn't say anything, but Phil said to me, what did you have happening? I said, I'm going mad. That's what's happening. <laughs> So slowly, slowly, I felt that God lifted me out of a pit. He put my feet upon a rock and he used prayer, he used worship, and he used antidepressants. Now, they're not for everyone. Not everyone. And, you know, in that time, I prayed. I prayed in the Spirit. I read my Bible. I got people to pray for me. They are not magic but flip, it's hard to work against something when you're, you know, if you look at it like diabetes, when you've got no insulin in your own pancreas and you're trying to maintain your blood sugars, now there are natural ways to uh, bring up your serotonins too. Exercise is hugely important. And actually ordering and disciplining your life so that you're not giving away more of yourself than you actually have. Learning your limitations. No one else caused my crash. No one else. It was my expectations of me. My approval addiction that caused me to crash. My inability to put limits on myself. So let's go back to what's happening with Elijah. So he's out there. And this, I love this. This is so exciting. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. This is the gentleness of God. Then he looked, and by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. A quick nap and a food will not be enough. It needs a lifestyle change. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. You see, God has to supernaturally strengthen us because the journey is too great. But whatever he gave him, he went 40 days and 40 nights on. 
to Mount Horeb. The first time, I believe, was to deal with his deficit and fill him up. Then he empowered him to go to Mount Horeb. So off he went, and then he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? And you know what he said, I've been so zealous for the Lord God of hosts, da di da di da I alone am left, and they seek to take my life, and that's how it feels. In fact, I never felt suicidal, but there were some times when I thought, I wish I'd just go up to be with Jesus. And I'm sure there's some of you who think, gosh, it would be easier just to go. Then Elijah said, to, God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But after the fire, a still, small voice. We've got to get quiet with God so we can hear something that's more powerful than the wind or the fire, so that we can hear the whisper of God to our broken hearts. And I, oh, I love this. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. He humbled himself. He was humbled, not by the fire, not by the earthquake, and he'd done the fire thing already. And it got him into quite a bit of trouble up on Mount Carmel. He was humbled. I just love this picture of him putting his mantle over his face and going out. That's what he wants us to do. To come and come before him. With very little, with nothing. And Elijah's still not quite right. But he's humbled. He's heard the Lord. His heart is hoping again, perhaps. But then God says... And what are you doing here? He said the same again, because he's not quite right. You see, sometimes it takes more than that. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I am alone and left, and they seek to take my life. And I just love the way that God answers him. He doesn't answer him, but he puts a disclaimer at the bottom. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, we won't worry about those guys. And it shall be whoever's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want the bit about Elisha. And go and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mehala, and anoint him as prophet in your place. And then just at the end, he says, Oh, just by the way, Elijah, I... Almighty God, actually have 7,000 others besides you <laughs> and that I've been kind of working on. Without your knowledge, perhaps. I don't know if it was with this knowledge. But God just loves, I think, to show us he's God, we're not. Elijah got, he got distorted. You get distorted when you're depressed. And he, he felt he was on his own. And that's how it feels. You do feel you're on your own. That's why people don't always reach out. They can't imagine that anyone else has felt like them. Do you know what? Many of us have felt like it. I just know there'll be many in here who've had similar feelings to me. If you are depressed for a long time, anxiety will follow. They're actually just one coin, two sides. 
because your, your body's desperately trying to alert you. Trouble, trouble, you know, like they do on the planes. Come up, come up, trouble, trouble. Your body is wonderfully and fearfully made. God has put warning systems in there. You're too low. Come up, come up. That's what causes us. We, I could, go, could have gone along with dysmythia, which is um, low mood, for a while and just thought, well, I actually thought this is it. I'm 50-something and this is life now. Well, and then Club Med. Woo! And, uh, <laughs> but I was in deficit. You see, Elijah was in deficit. He couldn't think properly. That's why we need each other. He shouldn't have left his servant, actually. He should have taken him. But God was bigger than all of that, wasn't he? And I just loved the way, I just loved the way God said to him at the end. But you know what he did? He gave him something to do, a new purpose, and that was what I needed. My job needed to change at Grace Vineyard. I needed a new purpose that wasn't so pastoral care heavy. And then he gave him a friend, Elisha, to anoint and to disciple and you know what in doing he told him that? Your work has not been in vain. There is someone to carry on the work of God. The work of God isn't all up to you, Elijah. He gave him a new focus. He gave him a friend. And you know what's incredible about distortion? When Elijah prayed, Lord, that I might die. Do you know Elijah never died? He was taken up. So how wrong we can get it at times. How wrong. And how he could have missed out if God had answered his prayer. He never died. He got taken up by the chariots. I think that's very exciting. And he had a wonderful time with Elisha. And Elisha carried on an amazing work. Whatever you've done will never be in vain, even if you don't see the fulfillment of it. Look, I just want to, Father, Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we love the signs, but we need your voice. We need your whisper. The signs, Lord, we need you. Kanahi, kanahi to kanahi, face to face. We need your touch to touch us and heal us, to show us again that you are God and we are not. Thank you for your gentleness with us, how gentle you were with Elijah. Thank you, Father, you long to touch us if we'll stand still long enough. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, have your way here today. I just want to encourage you. I just believe there are people here who are suffering, who have kept it to themselves. And honestly, for me, it was my pride. It was absolutely my pride that I wanted to be thought of as strong. No, I was much stronger to go to the doctors, actually. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.